mental health care is health care. And for so long in this country, we've kind of separated them uh, physically, mentally, just of how we dealt with it, but it's the same thing. And your healthcare is so tied to your mental health care, but there's this large gap between our healthcare systems and how we deal with mental health care issues. And I know at least in, you know, I live in Atlanta. So you see that there's just this, this chasm between connecting those two or integrating those two. And it's just a slow process. Do you see the same thing in the community or is the fact that it's community or, you know, and I think of community health, is that, is it better addressed there or is it still the same issue in your opinion? No, in fact, that was what led us to start the program in, in 2018, back when, and back at the beginning, just because there was just no real way to integrate it unless we did it ourselves. And, you know, a lot of what we are hearing from our political leaders is build better pathways to get to the cities and then come back. And they don't seem to understand that a 30 day inpatient stay doesn't cure a substance use disorder. In fact, um, you know, one of the big things that I came across that was really an inspiration for the program was a research study. And I, I believe the general point of this study was the comparative effectiveness between different types of mental health care providers and substance abuse outcomes. Um, but the ultimate findings of the study was that it didn't actually super matter what kind of provider it was. It was more about whether or not that the patients felt the provider was personally invested in them. And that's what really got me thinking about, you know, maybe maybe we're going at this all wrong and that's why we're not really getting anywhere. Um, you know, we're continuously building these systems of care that really emphasize sending people to urban settings for inpatient care and then having them come back into just like a peer support level of care, which is super important, but there's definitely a piece they're missing. And if the biggest indicator of success long-term is whether or not people feel that their provider is personally invested in them, is that not something that we do uniquely well in a small community? And so even though a lot of the traditional siloing has been there and that, and gosh, those have been challenges. Those have been challenges, even with us being within the same organization, you know, we share the organization with our primary care services and things like that. And they're amazing, but there's just so many differences that it can be a culture gap to, to breach. But even with us, I think probably being better at it than the average bear in the industry, it's still extremely difficult to try to bring to try to overcome those silos and it is so necessary that we do that but I do think that rural health care in general is the best poise to kind of create that holistic care and so that was the dream we set out with when we first designed the program and you know we um I, we hired Lindsay because I, I reached out and I asked everybody if you could hire any any counselor to do this to build this big dream that I have who would you hire and I had three different people tell me you need Lindsay Gessendorf. So I cold called her one day and told her to come work for me. And I don't know why, but she did that. And <laughs> we gave her a week and I told her to build the Disneyland of, of substance use programs. And then we would try to work backwards and find a way to, to pay for it. So that's how we, that's how we got a steak dinner on a bologna and cracker dinner budget. That's wonderful. That's a great start. Well, Lindsay, to that point, we tell us a little bit about the program that you originally built you know, for the Ripley court system. I mean, how did you go about doing that? And, you know, and is that program still active or have you incorporated into what you're doing today? The program is active. I will say we have changed a lot. So I came from Dearborn County. I work in a jail and working in a jail, there is kind of a harsher approach to treatment. And once I got out of that setting, I realized we're not treating addiction, we're treating trauma. 
And so we're treating people that have had generational trauma that have never had a support system. And to Nikki's point, they don't really have a lot of people they feel like care about them. And so I kind of modeled it off of what I was doing in the Dearborn County Jail. But then I started going to trainings and realized we're missing this key component of trauma. And so a big shift for our treatment is we're now much more trauma informed. We're focusing more on addressing the underlying trauma. Whereas if you go to a typical substance use program, you talk a lot about relapse prevention, people, places, and things, all that's really important. But if I don't treat the underlying condition, it doesn't matter how many times I've preached you to not go around your drug dealer. And so now we're doing some bottom-up processing, meaning we're looking at how trauma has impacted your body. We're looking at how to address that because to your point, mental health and healthcare are the same thing. And so we're seeing these um, increases in autoimmune disorders or things that we cannot treat. Well, because we're not treating the issue, we missed the whole issue of trauma. And so that is a big shift for us is we're really addressing that trauma. We're working with patients in a group setting, but also one-on-one. We're working with the community to make sure they have access to peer recovery coaches. We're working with them to make sure they have access to food, to psychiatry. And so we took this baloney budget, as Nikki calls it, and we made it this holistic program that's approaching all aspects of your life, as opposed to just treating the, how do we keep you from relapsing and going back to prison? Interesting. Let me ask this question, both of you, I'll start with Nikki. My perception is, you know, one, if there is a silver lining in the cloud of the pandemic, it's awareness of mental health, you know, almost across the board, or at least that we see that most of us either have direct family or friends who are struggling or have struggled in one way or the other. Do you, are you seeing the same thing? Or is there more? Because, you know, historically, mental health has had this stigma. People didn't want to talk about it, even within families don't want to talk about it. Have you seen a loosening up of that? Um, and, you know, we, either one of you can address that first, maybe Lindsay, since you're up, and then I'd love your view on that as well, Nikki. Or Nikki, you can start. <laughs> Sorry, I'm unmuted, so I'll go. Um, yes and no. I see people talking about mental health. I also see them straying away from it. So oftentimes when like tragic events happen, we're like, oh, the person was mentally ill. And we kind of attribute some bad behavior to mental illness. And so we're actually creating more of a stigma. I also see younger kids being educated on mental health, but oftentimes providers are so scared to use the words like suicide or actually give them access to current information that I think we're just like dipping our toe in it a little bit and maybe starting to get there, but I don't see I don't see the stigma lifting currently. And in particular for serious mental health diagnoses, I don't see the stigma lifting right now. Oh, I, well, I hate to hear that because you know it's always interesting different perceptions in different different parts of the country, and I, I think uh, it's 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 got to change. There's there's no question about that. Um, Nikki, do you have anything maybe to add to that as well? Yeah, I like to think that. The wound came when people watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and decided that that's what all mental health was. And so we deinstitutionalized mental health, deinstitutionalized mental health, which basically meant we put all the mentally ill in the prisons. And so we actually just switched it from one institution to a different institution. But regardless, you know, I think that's where the real injury came. And then I think that with the, with the siloing of mental health that came from that, you have this gradual 
process where this wound just festers and gets worse. And so you see this mental health crisis begin to grow over time. And I like to think that we're now at the at the scabbing part, not to be incredibly gross with that image, but you know, I like to think that we're there because I think what's happening is that to Lindsay's point, the stigma I don't see the stigma getting better. But I do see that mental health has now forced its way into our daily life. So we can't hide from it anymore. There's no more ostrich putting your head in the sand kind of situation happening. Um, whether or not we want to acknowledge mental health, whether or not we want to talk about depression and things like that, they are now impossible to ignore. So think what you like about them. You're going to have to talk about it. And I can't help but think that that's the first step to healing is if we just get it as part of the daily life, it's not something that we can hide from anymore. Eventually, we're going to have to reconcile you know our deeply held stigma with the number of people that we love and care about and respect in our life that are now struggling with mental illness and I just have to hope that we are right around the corner from a reckoning where you know it gets to a point that we can no longer separate those two things and we have to come to the conclusion that it's possible to be a good person and a respectable person and still really struggle with mental health regardless if you're somebody who had a great stigma about that before. No, I think that's so true. And, and hopefully people, the more that people hear that, they'll be less afraid to talk about the issues that they have or their family has will come out. Um, one of the, I, I picked up something, uh, I, I, I think it was a quote I heard from you or read somewhere is, um, and you were addressing someone who was struggling. I think it was on some communication um, on LinkedIn, perhaps, or something, but I, it made, a, again, an impact on me, so I put it down as a quote. I said, one of the hardest things isn't picking yourself up after a loss, it's picking yourself up every single day, and, and putting one foot in front of the other, basically, and, get, and, and moving on with things, so I know it's the work that both of you do and your team does is incredibly challenging, it's incredibly difficult, and, and we've essentially the pandemic has poured gasoline on a burning house to some extent in terms of mental health. But, you know, for, for me, I, I just, and the term is overbeaten so badly by media, but you two are, are really doing heroic work and your team is doing heroic work. So on behalf of all of you, you really are genuine heroes and there aren't many of those out there. So and the idea of servant leadership and serving your community is, is just really special. So however down you get sometimes, just know that a lot of us out there really appreciate that. Um, and I wanna thank you both for coming on our show today. Um, it's really been a topic that we've really wanted to address. I hope maybe we can get you come back again and talk some more about it sometime if you guys are willing to do that because uh, this is a topic that needs to really be explored and is exploding. So thank you both. Thank you for the great work you and your team are doing. And um, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again soon. And thank you all of, all of you listening for joining Mental Health Care today. Uh, one, one question I would have at the end of this, if people wanted to reach out and learn more about what you're doing at Margaret Mary, is there somewhere specific they can go to or you could direct them to perhaps? Yeah, so you can um, you can look up the Margaret Mary Health Center website, and it has um, it has some information about our providers and the services that we offer. Um, if anybody wanted to make a donation, you can look up the Margaret Mary Health Foundation, and you can pick on the the drop down for behavioral health and addiction services. All those donations come directly to our program, and we use them for things like trainings or buying groceries for a patient.
friends or buying suitcases for our foster kid program, things like that. So they don't have to carry their stuff in grocery bags. So we use them for our patients. You can even specify what you would like it to go to. So we always appreciate that if anybody's willing. Uh, hopefully lots of people will be willing to do that. So that's great. Thank you again, Nikki. Thank you again, Lindsay. Um, God bless you guys. Keep up the great work. Thank you all for joining us today.